Hi everyone, and welcome to the RegTech Report, your update on all things RegTech. My name is Carl Viertel, and with me is Stefan Celestio. Our mission is to bring you the latest news, speak with industry pioneers, and news about the latest tech. All right, everyone, welcome back to our very first podcast in 2020. And it's actually a slightly different podcast today because uh, I am here in uh, our New York office in New York City, and I'm joined by uh, our country lead, Tyler. Hey, Tyler, how's it going? It is going very well. It's uh, it's nice being on this side of the podcast. <laughs> Outstanding. <laughs> so um, we're here in uh, Midtown Manhattan in the uh, Barclays Rise uh, office where our uh, team here works uh, incredibly hard with our uh, U.S. customers. And um, we've got a really cool show today. So uh, first we're going to talk a little bit about um, the state of RegTech here in the U.S., um, uh, we've got a uh, we're going to be uh, pretty topical and uh, talk, uh, or current and talk about the uh, coronavirus in the uh, sense of uh, operational resilience. And we have a very very cool guest, um, John Lohr, who um, uh, is a uh, lawyer and uh, works on a lot of uh, reg tech transactions. So he's got the uh, inside scoop on the. Uh, uh, on the deals happening, and uh, of course we've got the news and a uh, really special uh, top three. So, um, uh, Tyler, I was reading a stat that um, nine of the top ten uh, reg tech deals uh, in 2019 were in the U.S. So obviously there's a ton of money flowing into reg tech in the U.S. Yes. Uh, what's overall your feel on the reg tech market here? There is tremendous growth. There is a tremendous amount of interest in reg tech. I still feel that the reg tech market is very fragmented. Um, mm. You still have your historical uh, financial services focused financial crimes, and then you have your information security cyber uh, reg tech uh, focus. Uh, there are some industries that are certainly far more mature than others, whether it be healthcare, historically with HIPAA. Um, you have many, many firms looking at, um, of course, artificial intelligence, machine mm. learning, mm. the topic of the day. Everyone's doing it. Um, I really see within the United States a focus for in with within reg tech focused on privacy. And you're seeing that with the rollout of the California Consumer Privacy Act. And you're, yeah, hearing, for sure. yeah, and you're hearing more and more rumblings now about what other states are going to start adopting similar laws. Uh, in and you know themselves, and so it's creating some confusion, perhaps some panic, concern. <laughs> <laughs> um, do you see any like geographic pockets? Right, is RegTech only happening here in New York? Uh, is it only in the Bay Area? Is it like everywhere? What's your feel? You know, it's uh, it, it, tough to get a hundred percent accurate read. Here in New York, of course, RegTech is extremely. Uh, well understood, and because of the financial services nature, yeah. uh, out in the yep, out in the West Coast, um, you're certainly seeing a lot of activity, and partly due to the technology hubs out there, the adoption. Um, but I would say that when you're thinking of reg tech and reg tech disruptors and new reg tech firms, going to the cloud or being cloud enabled is something that within the geographic U.S. And even North, uh, even Canada, for that matter, firms are moving in that direction, and you're mm. seeing that desire, or want, or business move, 
you're seeing that everywhere within the U.S. It's not just focused or centered in the big cities on the east or west coast. And um, do you think, like for all the reg tech firms uh, back in Europe out there, do you think that it's uh, more or less competitive here in the U.S.? Ah, good question. <laughs> A very, very good question. I would say it is in some ways more competitive, some ways uh, not at, some ways it's it's less competitive. You have the in some pockets the uh, let's say within financial services, you have the historic uh, you know financial crimes, technology type mm. firms that you know are monsters of the industry have been around for a very, very long time. the the information security, the cyber security uh, space is extremely competitive and there are new firms popping up all over the all over you know the country yeah. catering to different verticals with very very niche singular focused technologies um, and I think the cloud in and of itself has made it for e easier for firms to uh, get themselves up and running compete and get a viable product so I think you know by and large the regtech space here in the U.S. is extremely competitive. Yeah, fair enough. Um, now, last but not least, uh, what are your topic, uh, hot topic predictions for 2020? What do you think is going to be uh, the big thing in, in the U.S.? Ah, good question. Good question. I'm going to focus on privacy. Yeah. And you're, you're just hearing it and you're seeing it everywhere. And of course, GDPR is in the news and the f globalization, everywhere you turn, you can't you, you can't avoid it. And, you know, more and more firms that we're speaking to, of course, are concerned and worried about CCPA, mm. what that means. And um, the, 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 the shift and the, the, the shift to consumer and consumer rights and protecting consumers, I think, is going to continue. Now, I could easily sit here and say, oh, machine learning, artificial intelligence. And, of course, there are firms doing those things, working on those. But within RegTech, I really feel that privacy is going to be uh, – you know, of the utmost importance and at the forefront yeah. uh, in the next year going forward. Well, look, I'd, I'd agree with that, and I think probably uh, investors do as well because uh, OneTrust, you know, a big player here in the U.S. in privacy space, just uh, took on an enormous amount of cash. I think it's like $100 million or something. So, um, yeah, I think, uh, no, I'd agree. Privacy is uh, going to be exciting this year. Yeah. Cool. Now, um, our uh, second topic for today. Now, uh, as we're recording, it is the uh, 29th of January. So obviously, this is, uh, you know, going to be outdated in about a minute and a half. Um, <laughs> but uh, in in China, in the last uh, two weeks, the outbreak of this um, respiratory disease um, that uh, people are calling the coronavirus um, happened. We have. Um, as of today, 6,000 cases globally, the vast majority uh, obviously in, uh, around, in and around uh, the city of Wuhan in uh, China. Um, and uh, it's obviously now, with that headcount, uh, bigger than um, SARS. Um, wow. It's, uh, yeah, I mean, who knows uh, about the exact stats. I think the Chinese government has been surprisingly open. We still don't know, you know, if they have been open with everything. So the reason that we're talking about this in the context of the uh, podcast um, is that, for me, this is the definition of operational resilience and being resilient um, to a uh, adverse event. 
Now, um, another or also one of the reasons why I uh, uh, thought about this is because a uh, friend of the pod and uh, and of a line, um, Michael Rasmussen, um, uh, put a post out on LinkedIn where he was basically disagreeing with an article um, in Forbes that called it a black swan event. And so the definition of a black swan event, right, is a theory or a theory of black swan events is a metaphor that describes an event that comes as a surprise has a major effect and is often inappropriately rationalized after the fact with the benefit of hindsight. So, and he argues an epidemic is the entire opposite of a black swan event because that's like, you know, 101 of crisis preparedness. Right. Um, so I guess the question, um, is there maybe a follow-on effect that is a bit of a black swan event that maybe people didn't consider, like this whole shutdown of an entire city, essentially? That is a good question. And as I was, as you were saying that, and I was thinking about the definition and, and the other historical black swans, I just recall the black swan event, it's called the black swan event in the late 90s, is a long-term capital management, 100 plus billion dollar hedge fund that was very successful, that almost went under due to the Russian financial crisis. And it was such a, it played such an impact here, the Federal Reserve had to step in, uh, almost deemed too big to fail. And there was a famous book written um, when, called When Genius Fails. And so, it's, it, and that was called a black swan event. Um, but then you, you, you but then I, I, I wonder, is, was it really a black swan event? We have enough history in the, in the financial markets yeah, you know, you had the you had the you know the the depression in the 30s. You had the crash in 87. So, should we have learned from history? Is there yeah. was, was it really that much of a surprise? And should we have already had those plans in place? Yeah. And um, I don't know if I have the I don't know if I have a hundred percent correct answer or you know <laughs> or insight into it. But I but when you think about that black swan event and certainly. Um, you know what? What? What has occurred? You know, in in China with the virus, um, and you think about operational resiliency. There are so many factors to consider, and so many different players, and how they're all interlinked. Yeah. What do you really focus on? And everything you focus on, either as a corporation or as an individual, is going to have some type of impact. And I mean, follow on follow on effect. I, I was thinking about it, and when I read Michael's comments, I was like, yeah, of course, you know. Every BCM plan I've seen has had, you know, epidemic as like the, you know, number two line item that you prepare for. But I um, then sort of thought about it and like obviously there I think 100 people have, have died, right? And it's horrific and tragic. But right. in the grand scheme of things, it's actually, you know, 6,000 people are infected, 100 people died. It's, you know, it's not it, – it, it's not earth-shattering from a global humanitarian perspective, but um, uh, major airlines have all canceled all flights to China, right? So um, entire businesses have said we are, you know, stopping all business travel to China. Um, you know, an entire city of 8 million people is basically shut down. Now the question is, does sort of the BCM exercise you do really consider what if uh, China shuts down, right? I mean, that is sort of a... A massive, another order of magnitude, and uh, that's something that I don't know if you can prepare for. 
in, in, in a business <laughs> no, continuity and, management. And even in, if you did, plan. I don't know what anyone could do about China shutting down. I mean, the, the I mean, eight million people not going out and producing or doing whatever that is linked to our economy or or your specific company is. I mean, that's just going to have an effect regardless of how prepared you are. Right. Um, but I was thinking about sort of uh, you know what from an operational resilience perspective, do you have to have prepared in order to have an idea of what to do and, you know, let's say this becomes a larger crisis. And I think overall crisis response, right? So knowing who does what, who's in charge, when do we actually, what is the threshold for a crisis and actually knowing, all right, these are the first steps of establishing communications, establishing um, uh, channels of, uh, of verified information. I think that that is going to be essential. The companies that um, have that in place are certainly going to be more prepared for whatever is to come. Um, and the second thing, which I think is super important here, is understanding your supply chain and the interlinkages of risks and um, assets that are relevant to your production. Absolutely, because there is, there is that downstream effect. Airlines not flying to China, it's impacting their employees. They're, they're losing revenue. Yeah. Right. And suppliers. And uh, uh, there is that downstream effect. But then you get to, a, you know, from an operational resilience, there needs to be some type of immediate prioritization. Right. Is it hopefully it's people? Yes. You know, processes. Yes. Lastly, profits. Yeah. Well, uh, I mean, there are pro there are uh, obviously uh, businesses where those priorities are turned around. Right. Think about a nuclear power plant. Right. So. Um, preserving the life of one person in a control room is not worth uh, risking the machinery, the asset, for example, right? So, um, but I think it is, uh, it's one of those very, very fundamental things when you talk about crisis management and, and service continuity is knowing those priorities, right? Um, right. And that should guide all of the resilience responses that, or resilient responses that you take. And when you think about it holistically and you look, as you mentioned, you look at the, whether it be a business, whether it be an individual and all the other people impacted downstream and that whole linkage, trying to get a real understanding of the cause and effect and the impact it's going to have every step of the way is, is daunting and not an easy thing mm -hmm. to, to truly understand. Well, I mean, I think uh, at the very least, um, you know, the, the UK talks a lot about operational resilience and service continuity. And uh, at the very least, I think it's an, uh, an excellent example of, uh, uh, of what, what can happen very, very quickly and will uh, certainly um, have some crisis managers in, uh, in the companies uh, paying very close attention. Right. We'll see what happens. <laughs> All right, and we are back with John Lohr, a local attorney here in New York, a uh, expert on regtech and uh, all things uh, investment in fintech and regtech. Uh, glad to have you on. Happy to be here. So, um, what's sort of your view on uh, regtech investments uh, here in the U.S. and maybe even more specifically here in New York? Yeah, there's certainly a lot of activity. Uh, it's it's a very fast moving part of the investment ecosystem. We've got private equity funds, venture capital funds uh, competing for a, 
a, a fast-growing group of investment opportunities. Uh, competing for investment opportunities is something I like to hear as an it, entrepreneur. <laughs> it's it's not going to last forever. <laughs> Agreed. <laughs> um, so. Um, uh, what's your prediction for for 2020? Do you think it's continue to gonna uh, to go up, or uh, do you think 2019 was a bit of a peak, or uh, what's your outlook? Yeah, I, I think that one of the strategies has been a a broad investment, uh, particularly from the venture capital side, into various uh, tech segments that are that are looking to to develop their their technologies and, and then move up to to the next rung. Uh, I think I would anticipate a little bit more concentration into larger, more developed technologies as we see them uh, consolidate. Similar uh, similar thing happened with the, the blockchain uh, companies where early on <laughs> a lot of, lot of oh, investments yeah. were being made in a lot of different technologies and then as as they evolved, uh, the, the investing started to become more more segmented, and and I would imagine we're going to say, see the same thing with uh, with regtech. Now I've uh, I, so Stefan and I, who usually do the podcast in Munich, we've uh, talked about some very very similar things on a regular basis. So I think we're very much online there. Um, actually, you know, I realized. I didn't even introduce you properly. Uh, maybe you can just uh, give us a quick intro as to uh, what your uh, usual role is in uh, in regtech deals and what your firm does. Sure. So we're involved indirectly. Uh, we are investment fund attorneys, and our focus is on putting together the private equity funds, venture capital funds, advising hedge funds. And so on that side, one is is looking at the at the venture capital funds, uh, potential portfolios, and on the other side, especially for hedge funds, it's looking at their own use of of the various technologies. Oh, that's a very cool job, I must say. Um, let's just um, switch the, the view a little bit and uh, think about uh, funds, and more specifically hedge funds, also as regulated financial institutions uh, institutions themselves some might say even not regulated enough um, where do you see changes in the regulation in the fund area and how can how do you think regtech uh, might play a role there sure so each year regulations are expanding and we're seeing a lot uh, a lot more depth in the in the compliance level required by by hedge mm. funds uh, and with that we're seeing the uh, the compliance industry grow quite a bit and they're heavily reliant on on reg tech and a big a big part of that is managing the uh, the swarm of of regulations through knowledge management systems yeah and uh, in your experience in working with a lot of uh, uh, funds, um, where do you see funds being really good in the risk and compliance space, and where are their biggest weaknesses? And I think that would depend on the on the fund and the and the type of fund. If you, if we're looking at at hedge funds uh, on the investment side, they're able to tap into some very robust systems. On, on the investment side, I'd say where there's a weakness is op- often in the operational 
uh, side, including operational mm -hmm. due diligence, um, compliance, particularly uh, marketing and investor relations compliance. It's been an area that mm -hmm. the SEC has has taken a number of actions uh, based on uh, a failure to to comply with some things that would appear to be fairly straightforward. So I would say for hedge funds, the major areas of investment where, where they're where they're going through intermediaries, a lot of that is 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 covered pretty well. But on their own end, certainly their cybersecurity risk, the investor facing side is the area where there's the greatest challenge and the greatest opportunity for emerging fintech companies. Wow, that is uh, that is excellent news. So, um, to uh, all of the uh, sales guys of our uh, regtech friends out there, um, uh, talk to uh, talk to funds, talk to hedge funds. <laughs> I, I, th I think so, John. Thank you so much for being with us. It's been an absolute pleasure, and uh, look forward to uh, checking in on you again in the future. Absolutely, good to be here. All right, so uh, we're back with Tyler, and uh, we've got some news. Um, so uh, actually, uh, first and foremost, um, actually some news on a line. So uh, uh, just today we uh, released our super fresh new branding and uh, website. Uh, so uh, check out align.com. Um, uh, actually, Bailey, uh, who you all know in the background of the podcast, uh, uh, has been doing some amazing work with her team on sort of, um, sharpening our messaging um, and creating a really beautiful website that uh, helps our uh, uh, people really understand very quickly what Align's about. And we sort of, as you know, Tyler, we have this sort of concept of mission control, right? Everyone is on a mission in their organization to get something done to uh, boldly go where no man has come before. <laughs> I like uh, yeah, I just saw the Picard poster when I was walking down times, uh, past Times Square. So uh. <laughs> It is a job well done. It, it, it's, uh, it looks excellent. The content, very easily re readable, accessible, and understandable. And Yeah, so uh, don't check it out. Um, I'm really excited about that. But in actual news about other people... Um, <laughs> Uh, some friends of ours in Berlin, Signavio, raised a uh, insane, awesome 177 million um, a funding round, putting them at a 400 million valuation. So, uh, congrats to Signavio! Uh, really powerful process tool. I know that they've been, uh, you know, getting some really cool um, uh, credentials in the market, and uh, I wish them all the best. Yeah, it's great news. And uh, oh, another cool. Um, uh, stat came out, KPMG study found that in 2020, they expect 34% of all reg spending uh, to be on reg tech um, in the, uh, to the tune of 76 billion U.S. dollars, which isn't bad for an industry that didn't exist 10 years ago. No. Nice, uh, <laughs> nice, nice uh, industry to be in at the moment. <laughs> I, I believe so. Um, and on that note, um, uh, reg tech analyst reports uh, 2.3 billion um, investment in uh, reg tech companies in 2019. So, you know, also uh, yeah. not bad. Healthy uh, healthy growth and forecasted for the future as well. Yeah, I mean, uh, John was, uh, I, I think he was uh, just a tiny bit cautious saying, you know, it won't last forever, but... Uh, well, nothing does. Uh, nothing does. <laughs> <laughs> 
And, uh, of course, uh, being sort of, uh, well, it's still more or less the uh, beginning of the new year, um, or as uh, one of our sales guys, uh, Patrick, says, it's the um, end of year um, uh, sales push, end of January. So, uh, <laughs> um, no, but uh, everyone has got their... Um, uh, has got their predictions for the top risks in 2020 out, and uh, so does the ECB, European uh, Central Bank. And uh, they obviously uh, say the top risks are uh, climate and cyber, and everyone seems to agree. Everywhere you go, right, you're hearing about that. Mm -hmm. Sustainability, uh, climate, right, risks associated with it. It's, yeah. You I can't mean, avoid it. Even the German regulator put out there, uh, they said in 2020, uh, climate risks will, will be a uh, regulated mandatory part of uh, risk management in banks. So, uh, yeah, I really look forward to digging into that topic a bit more in uh, in 2020. We have some uh, pretty cool ideas in a line. But, uh, yeah, I, that's it's, it's not going away, let's face no, it. That... Agreed. <laughs> now, uh, 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 Tyler, are you on TikTok? Unfortunately, no, I am not. I can't okay, say that bo- I am. Okay, boomer. Uh, so. <laughs> I am not. What, what's TikTok? No, I, I do know what it is, but I'm not on it. Yes. My son has most of the uh, the apps and everything else controlled on my phone. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, you know, as uh, of course you know, it's the uh, uh, Chinese-built uh, Uber uh uh, social media site that uh, everyone's on, 80 million downloads just in the U.S., 800 million worldwide, and uh, now uh, Checkpoint Security reports major security flaws, so um, uh, fun times all around. Uh, no, good. I, don't have to, I, don't, I don't have to worry about it. Uh, clearly. <laughs> <laughs> no, but it just shows uh, even scale, and uh, the sharpest minds uh, will, you still have to be cautious. Yeah, absolutely. And um, that leads us to uh, our favorite segment, the first time uh, without uh, Stefan, um, our top three. Hey. Hey. Oh. Top three. It's the top three. So our top three today, very special, and it's not the usual top three where we go for the exact same topic, but it's sort of a old world versus new world top three where, because it is Super Bowl uh, week, right? Yes, so, it is. So um, we've got that coming up. And so I, as a admittedly not a football fan, um, will uh, basically uh, give my top three things that I find incredibly weird about football. And at the same time, I will tell you my top three things that I find incredibly weird about soccer. We own the football <laughs> term here in the U.S. Fair enough. So uh, do you want to give us uh, your number three of things you find weird about soccer? Absolutely. There is no off-season. I can watch it year-round. It seems as though there's the regular season, then there's another season, then there I heard there's something called friendlies, and it just never ends. I don't understand how there's no downtime, there's no off-season to enjoy other sports. It's just a perpetual game. Other sports? I don't understand what you're talking about. No. Yeah, basketball, <laughs> hockey, soccer. Uh, no, not soccer. Uh, baseball, golf. All right, so my number three thing I find weird about football is there are so many breaks. Just play the game already. <laughs> They're so strategic. They have to have timeouts. And they have to think about things. It's game of the mind. Fair enough. <laughs> All right, your number two thing you find weird about soccer. There are just too many leagues and too many divisions 
as an outsider, not over there, I, I cannot follow it. And there's, uh, you're reading about teams being promoted, demoted from different leagues, and here, we like things simple. The <laughs> NFL, it's one league. Nobody competes with it. There's 32 teams, two teams playing the Super Bowl. It's very simple. You have to think too hard <laughs> to understand European soccer and what, what, what's going on. Yeah, well, it, you know, if you're a Munich company, it's all very simple because there's just one team, right? It's Bayern Munich. Correct. But, uh, <laughs> all right. So uh, my number two thing I find weird about football is, for me, football is where obesity and athleticism intersect, right? I mean, these guys are absolute units, but they're not slim and trim by a long shot. <laughs> you are. You're, you're correct. I'll give that to you. Yeah. It's... <laughs> Now, your, your number one thing you think weird is weird about soccer? Hands down, you watch a game, the coach is sitting on a plush leather chair with a headrest that's about a foot above his head. <laughs> I don't understand why they're sitting down on a beautiful, looks like it's straight out of a sports car. They should be on the field coaching <laughs> like they do over here with football. Right on the sidelines, I, I just I, I don't understand why they're sitting down on a chair. Yeah, I think you need to watch more Italian football. But <laughs> okay, fair enough. I'll check some out. <laughs> All right. So my number one thing uh, that uh, I find weird about uh, football is um, the two coaches and the refs, essentially during a game, operate more technology than a line. <laughs> <laughs> it, it it seems like that is a bit excessive, but that was our top three. three. Now, obviously, the one prediction we're, uh, or the one top three we're all waiting for is who's going to win the Super Bowl. Do you want to go first or do you want me to? I literally have no opinion. Okay. <laughs> well, as a conspiracy theorist at times, this is the 100th anniversary of the NFL. The Kansas City Chiefs were in the first Super Bowl. They lost it. So maybe this is their year. Maybe some things will be done for them, favor them. Well, I, would, I see the Chiefs winning. All right. Well, I would certainly hope that there's no intersection of players in the two Super Bowl parts. <laughs> no, no. But it, it's, uh, I think it's their year. All I right. think it's their year. Hopefully right. it's a good game. I'm going to go with a score of 27-20 uh, Chiefs. All right. Go Chiefs. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> Tyler, thank you so much for being with us. Um, thank you, everyone, for uh, joining us in the new year. Uh, we look forward to an amazing uh, set of podcasts uh, from uh, hopefully multiple locations. Yes. Um, and uh, next time we'll be back in Munich and uh, joined by Stefan again. Yep. Take care for now. Thanks for listening. Let's continue the conversation on Twitter. Follow our dedicated podcast handle, at the RegTech Rep. Make sure to rate this podcast and send your thoughts and comments to the Regtech Report at Align.com. Once again, that's the Regtech Report at Alyne.com. You can also follow Align on LinkedIn, Facebook, or Twitter, or catch up on our podcasts on Align.com slash the Regtech Report. <laughs>